Good morning, Crossview. It's great to see you, especially uh, those who are in the worship service as well as those who are watching online. Thank you so much for being with us. What a joy and gift it is that we can gather and uh, look at God's Word and be changed and transformed. So last week, Chris shared a story when he was opening his message about his dad who uh, would say to him as he's getting ready as a high school student to go out on the town, uh, hey, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? And it was a way for a wise father to remind his son to uh, live the way he ought to live. And he laid that out. So I thought as I'm kind of doing a part two to Chris's sermon, I would start with a story from my childhood as well. Uh, in my childhood, we had this barber, and I know it's like hairstylist, but this guy was more of a barber than a hairstylist. And he had like a signature move he did every single time after every haircut without fail. You always knew it was coming. It's like, here it is. He would cut our hair, and the minute he was done, he would like take the apron that was around us, and he'd spin it off, and he'd say, the new you, every single time. Without fail, the new you was declared at the end of every single haircut. My brother knew it, my dad knew it, I knew it. We just always knew we were going to get the new you. Spiritually speaking, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you become a Christian, the Bible says you are made new. There's a new you. And what Paul is doing in these verses, after, as we're looking at uh, the book of Colossians, we're going through this book systematically, chapter by chapter, in a series called Our King. And what Paul is doing here is, after he uh, commended the church in the city of Colossae to be faithful. He saw their faithfulness and he said, you guys are doing awesome. He commended them. Then he pointed out the false teachings that were coming their way and he said, don't lose sight of these, uh, beware of these false teachings, hang on to the truth. And then he exalted Jesus Christ and he said, here's what's best. And he exalted, after doing these things, after commending, after pointing out false teachings, after exalting Christ, now he says, be who you are. He encourages them to live out their faith in Christ Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, you are made new. You are transformed. And he's saying, wherever you go in the world of your life, work, family, home, wherever, live out who you are as a Christian. Live out the newness of life that God has given you. So we want to dive in and take a look at that. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it or turn it on to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 12 to 14, those three verses today. Uh, if you have a paper Bible and you're turning there, Colossians is towards the back. If you hit Hebrews or James or First Peter, you went too far, uh, go back to the left. And Colossians uh, chapter 3, 12 to 14, we're going to see some things. The way this is structured is that the very first word of chapter uh, or verse 12 is therefore. Good Bible teachers throughout the ages said anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what is it there for, referring to what's in front of it, what came before it. And so if you look at verse 5, there's another therefore. And so that's asking what was in front of it. So here's how this is structured. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, this is who you are in Christ. Set your mind on things above. Live like this. Therefore, because you've been made new in Christ, put to death, and he went through that big list we looked at last week, 5 to 11. Now, he says, 
after you put to death those things, therefore now live in this way. So these are all kind of linked together. So let's look at what we're supposed to do now, verses 12 to 14. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord forgave you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Paul opens this section by declaring a truth of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And it would do us so much good to camp out and to begin each day with that reminder of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you become a Christian, this is who you are. When we face struggles, when we face hardships, it's so easy for us to get caught up into the hardship, to get caught up into the struggle, to get caught up into all the intricacies of the trial. We forget who we really are, and who we really are is what brings us life by the grace of God. And so he tells us who we are. He says, you've been chosen. He says, you are empowered. Empowered, you are holy, to, you're empowered to live like Christ. You are dearly, dearly loved. God's chosen ones. God chose you. It wasn't that you went on this seek and search mission to find God. He put in your heart this desire to seek him out. And as you sought him out, he chose you. He brought you into relationship with him. And then it says you are holy. You are empowered then to live like Christ. And above all, you are dearly, dearly loved. Not just loved, but dearly, dearly loved. And then and before we got to this point, he went into the list of all those things we should put to death. And now he compiles and completes it by giving five character qualities that we are supposed to walk in. We put to death those things that we looked at last week. Now we take on and bring to life the things that we're going to look at this week. There's five qualities he walks through, and we're going to walk through each one moment by moment, word by word, because I think what can happen is we can read through this list of qualities, and we just kind of read through it and, and speed past it and gloss over it, And we don't really understand what God is really saying and teaching us in these things. And so I want to look through each one that these are five character qualities that mark Jesus people, that mark gospel people. And so let's take them one by one. The first one is compassion. Compassion. The ancient word or the Greek word here for compassion in the original language is bowels of mercy. To have bowels of mercy. Now that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Why would it say have bowels of mercy? Here's why. Because in the ancient world, uh, well, let me pause that. Do you know how when we like talk about the core of our being, we say it's in the heart? So we say like, set your, have you set your heart on that? Or follow your heart? Or what is your heart telling you to do? We use those phrases and we're not talking about the 
a physical organ inside of us. We're talking about the core of us, the soul of us, the, the thing that makes us tick, the control center for our life. We view it as the heart. In the ancient world, they viewed that in the gut. They would say, it was, what does your gut say? Follow your gut. They saw the core of the person, not in the heart. They used the word gut. In fact, many times uh, in the Bible, when you hear Jesus talking about the heart, uh, that word translated heart, where Jesus will say something about the heart, the actual Greek word is your gut. The actual Greek word is splukna. Doesn't that sound like guts? Just splukna. When you're splukna, in the core of who you are. And so what this is saying is in the core of who you are, there should be mercy. In the core of who you are as a person, you should exude mercy. Mercy should come forward from the core of a person. And in the ancient world that Paul was writing this letter to, there was, it was extremely, extremely merciless. There wasn't mercy anywhere. The way they treated people was so harsh beyond anything we've seen probably in our world today. People who were elderly or sick were discarded and treated horribly. Mentally ill people were treated in completely inhumane ways. People who were down on their luck and just could not find uh, good uh, prosperity or health just to have a basic human living were discarded and treated extremely poor. Christianity is what put mercy and compassion into existence in the world. If you look at the world history, you'll see that once Christ came and the church was established, there was a dramatic shift because Christians who were following Jesus introduced this idea of mercy and compassion into the world, and they changed it. The first hospitals were established by the Christians in the church. The first cares of practice of caring for somebody was established by the church. Schools were first established by the church. And I would say it's still the case today. God's people go into the darkest situations and they bring mercy and compassion. That's the calling they have. They carry that with them as new creatures in Christ, people who are made new. We must be compassionate people. We must be people who make a difference, who step into dark places and bring the light of God. That's what the church has done since Christ was here, and that's what we'll do until he returns. And in doing so, we bring hope. In doing so, we bring peace. So compassion, this mercy that comes out of the core of a person. The second thing he says that we should put on is kindness. Kindness. This is a command because... Kindness does not happen naturally in human relationships. Have you noticed that? It doesn't happen naturally. So Paul lays it out as a command to be kind towards one another and what we say and what we do. In England in the 1940s, around World War II, uh, many of you may have heard of the Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who was in charge of England. But there was a, a playwright in England at the time named George Bernard Shaw. And George Bernard Shaw and Winston Churchill didn't really like each other that much, and that could kind of be an understatement. And they would constantly in public throw jabs at each other in newspaper ads and in uh, different speeches they would give. They were always kind of jabbing each other. And sometimes it was like lighthearted fun, but sometimes it wasn't. It was more of a dig. It was an intentional dig. And so they'd throw these jabs at each other. One time, George Bernard Shaw put two tickets to a play that he wrote that was appearing in London in an envelope, and he mailed it to Winston Churchill with a note. 
And the note said, Mr. Winston Churchill, I thought you might enjoy coming to my play that's opening this Friday night. Uh, if I put in two tickets so you can bring a friend if you have one. Winston Churchill wrote back, said, Mr. George Bernard Shaw, thank you very much for the tickets. Unfortunately, I have a conflict that day. I was curious, can I use these for a second show if you have one? So there's this back and forth that happened, and I think that becomes default for us, doesn't it? Sometimes it's just playing and having fun, and that's okay, but I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking the times where it really is a dig, where it really is a cut, where we really want to destroy somebody. And sometimes we are afraid to do that face-to-face. We find other means to do that. But that's not what kindness is. Kindness is the quality of being friendly and generous and considerate. The Greek word for kindness here that's listed in Paul's uh, letter when he was writing this in his uh, native language, when he wrote this, I love the meaning of it. When I discovered it, I just kind of camped on it for a little while and thought about it. Do you know what the original wording for kindness here is? It describes a wine that has lost its harshness. Isn't that good? A wine that has lost its harshness, something that has lost its harshness. Wouldn't it be great to be a person who has lost their harshness? How many times have you heard harsh words to you or towards somebody else? Paul says that Jesus gave us a better way. To be kind in our words, in our actions, that same word is used by Jesus to describe coming to him. In Matthew 11.30, he says, when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's the same work. He's saying, my yoke is kind. Life when it's with me, when you come to me, you're going to experience kindness from God that's going to transform how you live. There's a kindness that comes when you come to Jesus, is what he's getting at. Not only that, but the God, the Father, is described with his word as well in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The reason we come to God and we turn and we say, God, forgive me for my sin. I turn from my ways and I turn to you. The motivating factors when we taste the kindness of God, when we see that God is not a harsh God, but God is a loving God, and we see how kind and loving he is, it motivates our hearts to turn and follow him. His kindness leads us to repentance. Do you want to make an impact in this world? Be kind. Do you want to make an impact in your family? Be kind. You know what Christians tend to do? We tend to trade kindness for truth. We tend to say, well, I have to tell the truth. And if I tell the truth, somehow that's become this hidden meaning that it means we're not kind anymore. That we just tell the truth, and if we say we're going to tell the truth, then, oh, all bets are off. We don't have to be kind. You could just slam somebody as long as you're telling the truth. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's not a biblical principle at all. Truth for the Christian is laced and comforted and, and put together in this kindness that happens. Have you ever seen this online on Facebook or any social media platform where someone lays out a statement that's kind of inflammatory and then another person lays out a direct opposite statement and then they go back and forth and bam, bam, bam. You've, You've never seen anything like that, have you? You see it all the time, right? You lay this out, boom, 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 and it's going back and forth. Have you ever noticed that that never happens? This never, ever happens. You ever notice that someone doesn't lay out this statement and the next person says, you know what? You are so right. 
I've been looking at that all wrong. I'm totally changing my opinion on this. Thank you so much for writing that statement. That totally changed. You notice that never, ever happens? Do you know why? Because in the art of persuasion, if you're going to persuade somebody to an opinion that is different than what they hold, they have to experience trust in the moment with you. They have to experience trust in the moment that comes through kindness. They have to know that you care that more about them than the opinion that matters. In the art of persuasion, you can never turn an opinion from somebody unless they sense that trust in the moment that I say has to be bathed in kindness. And the reason that doesn't happen in social media platforms isn't because those people aren't kind people. They could be kind people. They could be extremely kind people. But you can't see the kindness. You can't feel the kindness because it's just this statement. And kindness is more about how it is said versus what is said. Kindness is displayed through nuance, through tone, through nonverbal communication, through posture. That's how human beings pick up on kindness and they allow a platform of trust to happen where persuasion can take place. That's why you will never ever see persuasion happening in Facebook posts like that. And that's why it should never be done to do that. It has never worked and it never will because there has to be kindness. So as Christians, as we carry the truth, we need to carry it with kindness so that others may see. The next one is humility. Humility. Humility is the absence of self-promotion. When the original hearers of this letter heard that Paul talked about humility, some of them would have been shocked. Humility was something that Greeks did not consider positive. In fact, it was a negative. Humility was not looked at as a virtue. It was looked at as an insult. If you said, wow, that person is humble back in that day, it would be like one of the worst things you can say. Because their culture, humility was on the bottom. You didn't want to be humble. You wanted to have pride. That was what they valued. That's what they looked at. And again, if you look at world history, virtue, uh, the humility never ever became a virtue until after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus Christ came and people saw how he lived and they saw the humility of God coming in the form of a human being, living a perfect life serving us, going to a cross, taking your sin and my sin upon himself, bearing the wrath of God and so that we could have a relationship with God and rising from the dead, that was when humility became a virtue. It was a turning point in world history. So when Paul says humility, some of them would have been shocked. They would have thought it was an insult, but he says, no, you are to be a humble people. Humility described how Jesus and what, uh, lived and what he did on the cross. Humility is how Christians were called to serve God in Acts chapter 20. Humility is how Christians are uh, called to treat each other, to treat each other with humility. And Jesus invited all of his followers to a life of humility. Now, what is humility? Paul is not suggesting that these people are to think poorly of themselves or they're supposed to like grovel and put on this uh, air of humility that's really false. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the absence of self-promotion. The absence of self-promotion. He's talking about seeing yourself in view of God's grace. Seeing God clearly and seeing yourself clearly in light of that. 
There's a great phrase that describes humility. It's this, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. That's humility, that we're supposed to put that on and live that out in our new creation in Christ. The next one is gentleness. Gentleness is a combination of kindness, humility, and self-control. Kindness, humility, and self-control. Some people think gentleness is a weakness and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, gentleness in a person gives them a steel-like strength. It brings a steel-like strength. It brings security to who they are as a person. It brings to them this attitude of power under control. That's what it means, power under control. So many times we hear, you got to lay it down and be tough on them. That's not a biblical statement. Paul is saying, if you want to live out this new you, this new person in Christ, gentleness should exude from you. If you want to have a great marriage, there better be gentleness. If you want to be a great father, there better be gentleness. If you want to be a great mother, there better be gentleness. If you want to be a great friend, there better be gentleness. It's the lost jewel in our world today. Someone recently said, a gentle soul in our self-absorbed, self-promoting world is a very rare thing. Paul tells us it's we as Christians living out this newness of who we are in Christ is going to be countercultural at times. It's going to be, it's going to look different than what we see in the world, but you know what? That's what makes Christ so attractive. Because people in the world see this lack of gentleness and all of a sudden they see someone being gentle and they say, what is it about that person? It brings about who we are to be. Paul says as we put these things on and live them out, we are displaying the beauty and the wonder of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The last one is patience. Patience. Patience is the ability to accept trials without getting angry. That's fun, isn't it? The ability to accept trials without getting angry, to suffer and stay compassionate, to stay kind, to stay humble, and to stay gentle. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians 5. He says, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be called to be, have patience. But patience is not just enduring trials. Patience is a dynamic, real trust in God in the middle of a trial. And when someone has that patience, where they trust God for who he is and what he can do in a trial, it's infectious. It spreads all over. One of the many things I love about Crossview Church is we have a lot of people in this church who have patience. And when I am going through a difficult time or when we're going through a difficult time, I love being around the Crossview patient people who exude this trust in God in the middle of this difficulty, who know who God is and know what he can do. And they're putting their, they're banking their heart in that. And it's a patience that comes through and it's infectious. And it says, yes, God will get us through this. So Paul lays out these five things compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he says that when we live that way, when we live who we are, there's a result that comes forward. When we live our lives in these qualities, 
here is what marks us. You want to know what it is? He kind of shifts in the verse here. And he says, after living those qualities, here is what happens. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. It's one thing to forgive somebody. It's another thing to bear with somebody. We're not supposed to go after every single imperfection that someone gives us. Sometimes someone comes and displays their imperfection as a human being. Love and forgiveness just takes that sometimes. We have to discern where that is. But, and I'm not saying that you never, ever call somebody on something. But what I am saying is you don't call them on everything. Some things we just bear. That's what loving people do. And so we bear and we forgive Let's keep reading. Uh, and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And look at this one. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. See, the result of being the new you, the result of letting, letting Christ live through you and taking on these qualities is consistent forgiveness, love, and transformation. Can you imagine what it looked like if Christians all around the world would be who they are and allow these traits to come forward and live out from them? Paul saw these five traits like clothes we put on. That's some of the language he uses here is like clothes he put on. There's two truths about these clothes. The first one is this. They can only be displayed in the presence of other people. You can't be compassionate, kind, gentle, patience, and all these things in isolation. It doesn't work. It has to come out. It has to be projected upon others. It has to be lived out in the context of a community. Seek to display this in your family this week. Seek to display this in your work this week. But, but, you have to know the other part, the other truth about these clothes as well, is you cannot wear these clothes unless you know and stay connected to Jesus Christ. It will be a sham if you try. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the first step is to give your life to Christ because if all you do is make a list and say, I'm going to be more compassionate, I'm going to be more gentle, I'm going to be more humble, I'm going to be more kind, and you focus on that list and you don't focus on Christ, we will fail in that situation as human beings all the time because we don't have it within us to live the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ and his spirit inside of us. It won't happen. So the goal isn't to look at these lists and say, this is what I'm going to do. The goal is to live in Christ. This is how the Christian is supposed to live. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I'm not the one living it's Christ living inside of me. He's empowering me to be compassionate. He's empowering me to be kind. He's empowering me to be humble. He's empowering me to be gentle and have patience. It flows from being anchored and attached to Christ. That's the only way you can live this out. There was a medical student who uh, was going to college in California and his life was written in a book called The Enormous Exception by Earl Palmer. 
And he tells a story about this undergraduate med student who was at University of California, Berkeley. And this person became a Christian long after a journey of doubts and questions. As the student was hit, this guy was hit hard with a flu virus that kept him out of school for 10 days. And during that critical absence of school, he was taking organic chemistry. Now, I have not taken organic chemistry, but I've heard from people who have, and I heard it is brutal. And this person missed 10 days of it because of this illness. And he said a classmate who happened to be a Christian carefully collected all his missed lectures and assignments. The Christian friend took time from his own studies and his own life to help this guy catch up with the rest of the class. Years later, after they graduated, after this med student became a doctor, now a committed Christian, he told the author of this book, you know, that just wasn't done back then. And I probably would not have done it, but he gave that help to me without any fanfare or complaint. I was so taken back, he said, I wanted to know what makes this guy tick. So I asked him, and I found out he goes to church, and I said, can I go to church with you? And so he did. And the author wrote this, I think the best tribute I ever heard concerning a Christian was the tribute spoken from the student who was once ill who received this help. The student said this about his friend, I felt more alive when I was around that friend. I felt more alive when I was around that friend. Wouldn't you want that said of you? Have you ever experienced that? Are there certain people that you feel more alive when you're around because of what comes out of their life? Because of the Christ-likeness that comes, the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the forgiveness, the love? Do you know anyone like that? Where do people like that come from? It tells us earlier in this chapter in Colossians Chapter 3, verse 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. People like that only come from one place they're hidden. They're hidden in Christ, they're hidden in the life of Christ. Christ has consumed them and hides them and transforms them. And then all those things come out because of Christ. See, if you're listening to this and you're saying, I would like to be more like that, and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time. Go to him and say, God, will you forgive me for my sin? I want to live for you. I believe in who you are, that you are the son of God. Will you enter my life and change and transform me? And in that moment, you can begin a personal relationship with God. See, that's where it starts. You're hidden in Christ, and then God, through his spirit, molds you and shapes you into what God has designed you to be as a human living with him. And all these things come out. Don't make a list. You will fail. Stay attached to Christ. Be hidden in Christ, engrafted in Christ. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do this week to help foster that within you. If you, turn in, if you have a Bible this week, look at John chapter 10, and I want you to read it three times. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And I want you to read it. And the third time you read John chapter 10, what I want you to do is I want you to take note and answer this question. What does the good shepherd do in John chapter 10? 
What do you see the good shepherd Jesus doing in John 10? What is he saying about what he's like? And then I want you to pray this prayer. Father in heaven, invade my heart with Jesus and let my life be hidden in his. Invade my heart with Jesus and let my life be hidden with his. I pray, Crossview Church, that we become a people that exudes the characters of God everywhere we go because we are hidden in Christ. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, I thank you for your gospel truth. I thank you that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can live out what you've called us to be. Lord, we can't do it without that power and that strength. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you that when you instruct us on how to live, you don't expect us to do it in our own power, but you supply the power. God, help us to yield our hearts more to you. Help us to yield our lives and give up the things that we think may be so important that are contrary to who you are and what you say. That there can be a submission to you that you would come first and foremost, in our hearts and in our minds. I ask you to do that by a work of your spirit, and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.